Welcome to Talk With Me. This is Marcia Epstein in Lawrence, Kansas on lawrencehits.com. And Talk With Me is one of my favorite parts of the week, all the shows we get to record, because I'm talking with people in different parts of the country, sometimes around me. I don't want to neglect the people around me, but people who are all across the United States, a lot of them are artists. A lot of them are people who are involved with some kinds of what I would call social justice uh, advocacy activism. A lot of times that's combined. A lot of times there are themes of, of how to encourage support, mental health, feeling good, having life worth living. But it's not a luxury show. I hope you enjoy that part. It's really a conversation between me and my guests, an opportunity to just see what unfolds, you know, and to highlight some goodness because I know that even in stressful times, when we keep our eyes open, there are some moments that are brighter than others. And it's really important that we keep those in our awareness, that we notice them. You know, if you're one of those people who's been having a lot of dark days, maybe even you start writing down some of the bright spots. And bright spots may be, well, at least it wasn't as bad as this other thing. Maybe even at some point you reflect on, hmm, what was I doing that maybe made that brightness come to me, made me appreciate it? Because the more good stuff we know how to do to get through hard times, the easier we maneuver those. Because we're going to have them. We're going to have them. We're going to have great ones and we're going to have hard ones. And that's real life. Just like in Kansas, the weather where I am, today it's gray. Tomorrow it's going to be cold. Saturday it's probably going to be hot. Who knows? And we'll take it. We'll take it. Whatever's going on is what it is. Anyway, today my guest is one of the many guests I've had this 2017 winter, spring kind of time because there's this big gathering in April in Kansas City. Um, April is National Poetry Month. And during April of 2016 in Kansas City, there was this three-day poetry extravaganza called the Kansas City Poetry Throwdown. And sure enough, the people that brought us that wonderful event with people from all across the country coming in to share readings, those people, at least some of them, are still doing that for this year. Jameson Bales and Jason Reberg are putting together this wonderful set of poets, including publishers of poetry, many of whom are poets and publishers. Um, and there'll just be this great opportunity, April 21st through 23rd, most of it happening at Prospero's Bookstore in, in uh, Kansas City, Missouri. There will be some at the Writer's Place in Kansas City, and there may also be an outside event or two. I'll leave that for when those details are firmed up. It's a cool thing. It's a gathering. It's a collecting of people. It's meeting people that maybe you've just read about, heard about, seen on social media, etc. You know, maybe you've gathered that you like some of this person's work. Maybe you're a writer. Maybe you've been corresponding with this person about different things, but you've never been in the same room. So non-writers, writers, you're all welcome to the Kansas City Poetry Throwdown, which has a Facebook page that is the Kansas City Poetry Throwdown, and also has a page on the website of the publisher's Spartan Press. Um, if you Google Spartan Press Throwdown, you'll get to that page and you'll see 
featured and events and that kind of stuff. So you'll know a little bit more about April 21st through 23rd, 2017 in Kansas City, Missouri. So with that kind of as, oh, that's how she connected with this person. We are going to talk with Bree, who is an artist of many media, words included, in a community with this delightful name of Pleasureville, Kentucky. And Bree will be one of the writers and publishers who will be at the Kansas City Poetry Theater. So Bree, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. And I would love for you, as I invite my guests, to just tell people a little bit about you, and then we'll see where our conversation flows from there. Well, like you said, I'm a poet and artist, and um, I kind of spend most of my time walking around looking for birds and animal tracks and such, and then I do a lot of drawing and, uh, and publishing. Uh-huh. So tell us about your, your interest in the birds and animal tracks. I didn't know that part. Um, you know, I didn't really get too strong into the birds until I did move to the country. Um, it becomes sort of an, an obsession to where you're at a gas station and you notice what, you know, what birds are with you. Um, but to the extent that you're only looking at the bird, you know, you're, only, you're, you're absorbed in what's in front of you, whether that is a different type of flower or a different type of bird. Um, it's just a way to keep your mind focused. And um, if, if your mind is focused and you're, and you're exercising it that way, when you sit to draw or you sit to edit a book, you can concentrate more, I think. Ah, okay. It's interesting because what we, we we might do something that that is pretty similar, but but I would probably explain it or experience it a little bit differently. I I really love walking out in nature. I love I like walking in in grass. <laughs> I don't like walking on the sidewalk if I can avoid it. So I have here in Lawrence we have Haskell Indian Nations University, which has. Um, fields to the south of the campus and also a small wetlands area that was disrupted by a highway, but that's another story. But um, I'd like to go out and walk on the the paths in this these fields. And I am not so much looking at the birds as listening for the different sounds, their different songs. And I, I like to notice when there are groups of birds that are in the sky or high in the trees i like to look at sort of the patterns that that they make between the branches and the clouds or wherever they might be and i love the shapes of the different things that grow in these fields you know different textures and at different times of year how different they look you know, so so I'm there as like this is this sensory experience of sound and feel on my skin and and things to view, and I really appreciate that. And to me, I, I have a friend who would say, "Well, that's a walking meditation." You know, that's that's really a good way to to calm and be mindful, and that's that's great stuff. It's like okay, that works for me too. But it's just something I know I like that I crave. <laughs> And and for you, you're saying it helps you focus. Well, yeah, I mean, when you were talking about the year um, to see what grows when, that's pretty much what I was setting out to do by walking through the farms, um, keeping track of when the crops are set and and so forth, and what uh, when the wildflowers grow. Um, yeah. 
but that became another obsession like the birds because I wanted to learn all of the native plants. Uh-huh. Um, and actually, I thought I was going to get somewhere with that until I realized that each year, um, depending on what crops had been grown, you're going to have different flowers in the spring. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and that will also affect what birds. So uh, basically, I think I'll just keep learning for the rest of my life because I'll never get a, hand, a handle on it. Yeah. The way things are going. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of change. So do you like I'm curious about because you're more you're more learning about those things that you see and, and learning their labels. And those well, I mean, I like I like to learn the names of the birds. Mm-hmm. I like to see what I haven't seen yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like to learn the name of the plants uh, that will all play back into my poetry because you can make metaphors, um, you know, just because the way that the things are named mm-hmm. can be very poetic. Um, mm-hmm. I have a, a poem and I, I, I talk about, I'm walking through this uh, forest that's behind a church in a place called Cropper, which is a couple miles down from me. <laughs> um, and, you know, I said, you know, despite my careful steps, I nonetheless break Solomon's seal. Ah, you, know, you know, Solomon's seal yeah. is a flower, but right. you can do what you want with it. So, right, um, right. It all plays into each other. I, I, I think if I didn't walk, I wouldn't have the calm in me to create and uh-huh. so just the fact that they just all wound together. Yeah, yeah. But I, I love what you just, th- that line you just said about breaking the Solomon seal, because I, I love those, those times when there are these multiple meanings of short amounts of words, which, of course, means that's one of the things I love in poetry. Um, yeah. Is this multiple set of images that might be sparked by those words, particularly when they're said out loud. You know, that's, you know, I I say this so often, but I love being at readings. I love hearing a writer read their own work. And part of it is because in hearing words, sometimes those word sounds could be multiple meaning. And and also it's, it's always intriguing to hear the emphasis from the writer, you know, how they break up the, the words on the line and the page and and how there are different meanings in, in just that, you know. Yeah, I'm able to read like Emily Dickinson or D.A. Levy. I could read them and it'll mean something different to me yeah. at, yeah. at different times in my life. So. Yes. I'm, I, I giggle just a bit because not because of what you were saying, but you know, in, in viewing something online last night, there was a conversation with a Saturday Night Live comedian who was talking about um, when the current president was a guest host on Saturday Night Live and how um, the words on the page, the, the script for a skit, um, were intended to be, uh, to have a certain meaning and so the the words on the page in the comedian's voice were um, in a skit related to this this person who's been elected and a daughter being at a Disney um, park that that the 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 dad is supposed to say something and the way that that this elected person said it was ready to go turkey legs as though he was calling his daughter turkey legs when the intention of the words on the page was 
Are you ready to go? Turkey legs, as in let's go get turkey legs, <laughs> which is right. a total different meaning than calling your daughter turkey legs. <laughs> and yeah. that's just like, yeah, I mean, it's, you, you have to know what you're trying to say. And it's fun sometimes when we don't know exactly what somebody's trying to say. But yeah, words words can be powerful and interesting, intriguing, as can be shapes of things. I, I'm, I'm a big person about that, too, looking at what I see in the clouds, for example. <laughs> So we have nature in common, even though the communities we live in are very different. And and I know, because you and I had a chance to talk a little bit last week, so you haven't always lived in Pleasureville, Kentucky. Uh, no, I lived my, my whole life in uh, Cleveland, Ohio. Uh-huh. And um, I come down to Kentucky following a divorce. I was just going to get some fresh air. Uh, a girl that I had been phone friends with for a while, um, but I didn't know her too well. She offered me her home for, you know, she said that her friends and family would take me in as, as blood kin. And that's surely what they did. Um, Uh I actually can't even, I can't be in the same room with her anymore, but um, (laughs) her sister has become my dearest friend. And um, really everyone did take me in as blood, um, which is nice because country people I have found uh, in general around here, are not the most trusting, so it means a lot to me that they have um, that they have trusted me. When you say that that people around you are not the most trusting, what what is that about? Do you think? Well, you know, there's a lot of no counts. Uh, where I live is on the border of Shelby County and um, Henry County. When people refer to Henry County, a lot of times they just say, "Oh, you're from the county," um, which I think refers to some seediness that, you know, I, I actually haven't come across too much of. Um, and then on, on, on the other side is a very, you know, kind of rich county. Um, uh-huh. So uh, I guess people have their minds made up about family lines. And, and, um, and so if, if, if you're, if you're, if you say, you know, I, I'm friends with the birds, you know, and they know a little bit about the birds, you know, they're mm-hmm. not going to trust. That's just how it is. They, they have their minds kind of made up, but, um, but the individuals that I've come across uh, have taught me, you know, so much. Um, and I love that they don't have to recite Proust or, or you know, Goethe, you know, to make a point. Um, mm-hmm. they, they can make the same point, you know, mm-hmm. uh, just, just just sitting on the porch. So, mm-hmm. Well, what you, what you said, you know, and I, I was thinking about because it's, I think it's a pervasive issue that, Sometimes we make assumptions and have already decided whether we think somebody's opinions and even existence is worthwhile. And that's certainly something that we want to encourage ourselves and others to challenge those assumptions, you know. Oh, a huge challenge challenge is the tolerance that I must have for, for, you know, for basically racist comments Mm. and ideas. Um, Mm. I have to tolerate it because. It is so normal to these people around here to think in certain ways, mm-hmm. um, just as much as it is for me to think the very opposite. Uh-huh. Whereas in Cleveland, if somebody says something that, that sounded kind of racist, you know, uh-huh. you would you would stop them. You know, that that's offensive to me. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you and you would uh, you would ask them if, if they realized that it was offensive. Mm-hmm. It would be a moment to teach somebody. Uh-huh. But down here, um, if you were going to try to have a moment where you might bring to light the fact that someone was said that was racist, um, mm-hmm. 
pretty much what will happen is that person will go on for 10 minutes how it wasn't racist and why it wasn't. Um, mm-hmm. And so what I've done is just tolerated. I say, well, you know, this is their normal, you know. Um, That's and challenging I'm a in a different yeah. way. But I, 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 I can understand that you need to have peace. And and it also, I mean, as you were talking about it, it, it took me back to not so long ago when I was involved with a project across the state of Kansas, um, a suicide prevention project that was intended to touch people in all, we have 105 counties in Kansas. And I had already been, um, had have amazing opportunity to have connections with people from lots of different backgrounds in our state. Um, and I already knew there was a lot of divisiveness and animosity, kind of resentment. There are lots of words I could use from those in the truly rural, like really small um, population areas of Kansas and the, the the large cities, you know, and, and hearing about that, one of the things that I heard a lot and was cautioned against was that from a lot of experience over, you know, decades, you know, centuries, I guess, um, but certainly in, in the 1900s and beyond, um, so let's say mid-1900s and beyond, there would be these kind of intrusions from the bigger cities, universities, for example, wanting to do some kind of study that involved this you know, rural area and these different parts of Kansas. And the perspective from those rural areas was often, you know, well, so they ask us to do all this stuff and they never do anything to benefit us. When decisions get made in our state, they aren't benefiting us in our counties with smaller population compared to the way that they are benefiting big cities. And so we resent that, you know, it's like, well, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and so, you know, like, how do we find ways to work together for common good? And and I hear what you're saying that for you, there, there's an there's right now since there's not a way to to um, challenge and educate people in in ways that you might in Cleveland, that that you find peace with people. Um, in some ways, my hope is what that looks like is in some ways, you know, recognizing people's real heart. And that sometimes attitudes come from harsh experiences, and sometimes there's not yet an inroad. Maybe there will be later, but not yet. There's always little subtle ways to put it out there as well. So mm-hmm. I remember talking like you know, in Cleveland. I might it might land me into a fist fight uh, if I hear somebody say something gross like that. Um, yeah. You know, I had a I had a, a little fire inside me, but here, you know, like I said, it's like it's, it's my turn to learn tolerance. It's a completely mm-hmm. different type of tolerance. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. And you came from Cleveland, and, and I know a few, you know, I've talked to a few people to know enough that there's pretty big literary scene in Cleveland. Um, it really is huge. Yeah. 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 It's almost endless. Um, when I got into it, I didn't know, I, you know, I, I got into it um, about a generation um, had, had, had transpired between um, a time when they were putting out something called the Coventry Reader. Um, and then the next kind of big magazine to come out was called Split City. And that is because um, all of the poets kind of kind of uh, ended up uh, not liking this one or not liking that one. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there was a lot of like division in the city. 
but I didn't even know about that. And unbeknownst to me, here I am putting people who really don't like each other uh, all together into a book. Uh-huh. And, you know, and then when I came to learn of different uh, opinions that people had of each other and so forth, I would do it on purpose. And I would put on readings <laughs> where, you know, I would have, I would have this poet and that poet who, who surely don't like each other. And I'd have them be the two only readers. And the thing is, they, they, you know, they, they, they would get to like each other. They would uh, hear each other right. for the first time because they're forced to sit and listen. Uh-huh. And um, uh, I was kind of, uh, you know, I was, I was trying to get the community um, to be what it is, a community, <laughs> you know. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, there was a little bit of, you know, political activism. It's just people wouldn't know I was doing it. Um, I, yeah. I was doing yeah. it. I was doing it to be a smart ass. So. <laughs> I, I really like, you know, yeah. um, and, you know, I, I also, I, I like using things like banks and um, businesses um, because I would get their logo or something onto a flyer, you know, some program, you know, for $75 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like combining things that you wouldn't expect, poetry and banks, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. So are you saying that you you got some some businesses banks included to sponsor poetry events? Exactly. Like um you know, uh I met I met a, a boy, uh I call him boy. He's not a boy. He he was a grown man um of 22. Um but they're known as lost boys from Sudan. Um Oh. And you know, he survived genocide. Uh mm-hmm. managed to get to Cleveland along uh, along with 20 other uh Sudanese. Um I met him because I would smoke. I was working at Whole Foods, and um, we kind of had the same smoking schedule, I guess. And he would be <laughs> telling me these stories. You know, he was a really good storyteller, and he he would tell his story of survival to churches uh-huh. and schools. Uh-huh. And I said, well, you know, you should have a book to, to be given to these students and so forth. And he said, well, I cannot write. Uh-huh. So I, I spent a summer with him, um, which nearly killed me because... Uh, he wears so much cologne. You know, they were told when they arrived in America, you know, you guys stink, you know, because they, they had never even heard of deodorant. Um, so after they were all told that they smell so bad, they would take three showers a day and douse themselves with um, cologne, you know, which sets off my migraine. So I had a, I had a permanent migraine, and, and we wrote a book together. Um, I wanted him to be able to raise money to get a well in uh, the town that he grew up in. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know how, how to do that with poetry. So I had seven poets go out and we had to get pledges from businesses. Um, we raised like just under 3000 um, through poetry. So. That's wonderful. And that like, so cool. you know, when I mentioned the, the migraines, I mean, that was my original point in, in talking about it is that I got to the point where I was so sick that I really could not um, put on events or barely publish at all. It was all I could do to work make it through the day so I can keep my insurance, you know, mm-hmm. work so you can keep your job, so you keep your insurance, so you have hope that you could get better. Um, and right when I was feeling really guilty about um, almost neglecting my, my poetry community, you know, I realized there, there are so many people that came in um, that to, 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 there was like such a momentum going with like uh, John Burroughs of, of Crisis Chronicles, yes. uh, uh, you know, Diane Borsnick, mm-hmm. uh, but, but I didn't even feel guilty anymore. I just kind of just I, I just kind of went away. Uh huh. 
in, in some sense, it, unintentionally, but you pass the reins to people like John Burroughs and Diane Borsnick, who obviously yeah. have embraced that. And I mean, I, I've had the chance to talk to each of them in the past and to follow bits of their work, both their own writing and their publishing. That's cool. That's very cool. I love the story about this this friend from Sudan and and mobilizing community support including by using poetry to to be helpful to him um that and 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 the interesting thing about and it was smoking that created that opportunity <laughs> it was smoking and i'm smoking as i talk to you and um <laughs> you know it's like it's like uh i do these collages and my brother my brother believes that my process is you know very unique and and we were talking and he's a filmmaker and so is my baby sister and um they were talking about the idea of filming me, you know, in action while I make this collage mm -hmm. and, and they could tear it down. And, you know, I said, well, this, that really sounds great, but where are we going to do this? Because uh, I have to smoke, you know, uh -huh. <laughs> and most people don't allow smoking in their homes. So, right. uh, you know, I said, we'll have to do it outside or like in a garage or something, you know, because it's so <laughs> much a part of, it's just so, so much a part of my process. Um, uh -huh. Interesting. Yeah. So tell us about your visual art, because we've, we've been talking about your writing, and, and as you're talking about your collage, tell us some about that. Well, as a publisher, a lot of times I've come up with just graphics. You know, I would, I would draw things, or I took photos um, when I didn't have, like, cover art from, from, from some great independent artist. Um, and so it was kind of just out of necessity that I played with design a lot. Mm -hmm. um, my, my books didn't look the same from one to the next. It would be different shapes, different sizes. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of them were just heavily illustrated. I never just like made a flat chat book, you, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. uh, of anyone, I don't believe. Um, and then when I came to Kentucky, um, I guess it was just being surrounded by beauty. There, there's not a, a two-story building to be seen so that you can see the horizon 360 degrees. Um, you can see tree lines that are probably three miles off. Um, something about waking up with the sun and something about noticing at least five sunsets a week at the time. You know, mm -hmm. that's what I was, um, all that beauty and, and the colors uh, got, got to me around mm -hmm. the same time. There was like a budding romance and um, the gentleman I had met, he was talking about the Kama Sutra. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I just thought, well, let me draw he and I in a sutra if I can't do that. Um, he loved it, and so I just I just wanted to impress the boy, and so I kept making more and more drawings like that, um, and without really understanding that I had the ability to draw a human form, I, I had no idea about my abilities at all until I basically tried to impress a boy. <laughs> that's but, so that's, but, that, but you know, I, you know, and, and and then of course, like I realized, you know, um, my cousin over in Murray. Kentucky, which actually is pretty far from me. It's about maybe four, four and a half, five hours. Um, she told me about a grant that the Kentucky Foundation for Women has um, for visual arts. And I just went for it. Um, nearly, nearly quit because I, I, I was thinking, you know, I'm self-taught. This is ridiculous. I've been drawn for basically less than a year. And um, I spoke with the woman at the foundation. She's kind of in charge. And she said, well, have you gone to any of our workshops? And I said, no. Nah. Um, she, well, she said, have you taken out any books about, about writing grants? And I said, no, but I'm a writer. Mm -hmm. And um, 
And the thing is, is when I got the grant, they said it was as much based on my writing as it was on the merit of my art. So, um, uh, so it was kind of, it was kind of a fluke chance, and I took it. And I'll tell you, I spent the entire year meeting meeting people across you know across my state um, that are involved in arts, and I can I can see all these opportunities. And this year, I just have to decide: am I bringing art to Pleasureville? Am I bringing art to Henry County that doesn't want art? Or am I going to take advantage of all these people I met in the places where art exists? Uh-huh. That's like something I have to decide in my soul because um, I really do believe that, like, I want my local community, you know, I, 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 that's, that's what I would like to serve. Mm-hmm. Um, however, it would be a lot easier just to go on to galleries in Lexington, Louisville, Berea, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, in my heart to decide. So tell me a little bit, tell us a little bit about what what are the things that you will be doing with this this grant because you're mentioning these cities that you might go to but what's what's the project well, the, or whatever yeah the grant project was to um to try to gauge how how ready the audience is uh for, for nude studies done by a female who is self-taught you know kind of like an outsider artist mm-hmm. um there's some interesting things i mean i got i got 21 pieces into a little gallery called Six of Maine in Shelbyville, Kentucky. Um, quite a bit were nude. Mm-hmm. It was a mixture. I mean, you have your kestrels and you have your, you know, I have I have one where it's, it's clearly Christ. Um, he's playing with himself with a, a little kind of like a miniature me playing with herself. And, you know, to me, it's one of my favorite pieces because if I could do anything compassionate for Christ the night before he dies in the garden, you know, mm-hmm. relax him a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. it would be a sin for him to have sex with me, you know, but we weren't doing nothing wrong. So, so I have this, you know, beautiful painting of that. Um, well, she hung them all. I, I said, hang what you will, you know, and, and I'm not going to mm-hmm. be offended. Mm-hmm. And she hung them all and she only had to take down two because um, there were about four calls in two days uh, asking mm-hmm. for those two to be taken down. Um, so I thought that was kind of remarkable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also thought it was remarkable that like a woman who's, probably pushing 80 she wanted to have lunch with me and I didn't know why and her point was to tell me that my nude art makes her feel good even if it makes her feel guilty and just how much she liked it and how beautiful it was and how it made her look sex differently she said it changed her sex life and you know that changed my life I didn't know someone close to their 80s uh you know has a sex life that much um Uh and then just for there's a, a gentleman came up to me and he said are you the one with the pictures and and um, he told me very sincerely and um, that the way I draw the vaginas, he says, they're curvier. He says, you got to make them curvier. You know? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and so, so I was surprised that, because that's a small town. Shelbyville is about 40,000 population. Okay. okay. Pleasureville is 800. So, I was, you know, but 40,000 is still quite small to me where I come from. Yeah. And yeah. just that, just that people would unabashedly speak about sex to me. Uh-huh. Um, I, 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 I was surprised. Uh-huh. Cause around here, I've had people come up and say, uh, they don't. And I said, well, what do you mean they don't? You know, I was in the paper talking about whether or not the people around here want to see new studies. Mm-hmm. Well, the answer is they don't, you know. So. Uh, I'm not sure if you're saying that that's what you really believe or that's what a few people have said. Oh, no, I've come to believe it for sure. Um, okay. So... So my focus here in, in Henry County would not be 
on a new study, it would simply be to bring poetry, art, music, culture, you know, mm -hmm. into, mm -hmm. you know, to make it part of the framework. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm really interested because I, I'm in some ways hearing what you're talking about is similar to, for example, a poet laureate um, recognition where that person then brings that art across whatever area, you know, like in, we have a poet laureate of Kansas and the various poet laureates experiences include going to communities in different parts of our state and not only doing readings, but also kind of doing workshops, encouraging artists, writers and, you know, across the state to, to continue and grow in their work. Is that, is it kind of like that? So, so you have. Well, kind just, of like I could, I could draw on my, I have a green pen press. Um, it's something that I started back in 2001. And I would have people come from just all over, all over the United States and Canada. Mm -hmm. um, they're coming on their own dime. I didn't pay them. And they're coming to read for maybe 10 or 15 minutes uh -huh. and then just listen to a lot of other poets read. Um, I could draw on that. I could just do that here. There, there wouldn't be a problem doing that. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm a lot more interested right now in getting people who are not poets, you know, mm -hmm. people who are not artists, um, to see for themselves what poetry really is. Mm -hmm. um, when I write my poems, I'm writing them for myself. Um, but what I would like to do is reach people who are not poets. Yeah. Um, that's very cool. And so that's part of your, your grant project is both the poetry and the visual art. Yes. Well, the, the grant was strictly for the, um, regarding new studies okay. of art. Um, uh, what I'm talking about, like, 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 like what I'd like to, to bring the culture to my, to my community, that, that's mm -hmm. just, that's just within me. Okay. Um, I took last year off, uh, from, from poetry because, um, like I said, I have the, I have these, do I, would I like to just bring all my green pan press poets here and just have a big party or, mm -hmm. you know, cause I could do that. But who's going to come from my neighborhood? Who's showing up to uh -huh. see these? Uh -huh. So, um, you know, I, I would love for, you know, someone's first taste of poetry to be something that, like, you know, that I had a vision, you know, like, like, like there's a woman down my street and she had a stroke. She lost the ability to speak. Uh -huh. um, but we ended up, you know, her husband speaks for her and so forth. Uh -huh. um, and the three of us would hang out and I realized that she was a poet. So we exchanged books, uh -huh. you know, uh -huh. well, I said, you know, if I put on a poetry reading, would you be willing to read her poetry? And would she like that? Uh -huh. You know, and of course the answer is yes. Um, Beautiful. You know, Beautiful. and so if you pair her with somebody who's got maybe a name over in Lexington uh -huh. and, and then make, maybe a poet that I invite that yes. from New York city, yes. um, but but you involve the locals. Um, yeah. Locals will come, and, and it, it could be their first taste. And if you do it right, it'll be a yeah, good taste. Yeah, that's beautiful. That is so beautiful. Yeah. Hey, we need to take a little break, and I, and I love like this kind of warm feeling I have, this happiness about that that idea that you just proposed about you know giving literal voice to a local writer with somebody who is yeah. an experienced reader and writer. So we're going to we'll take just a quick break and hear from a couple of the Lawrence, Kansas businesses that sponsor LawrenceHits.com. And then we'll be back for more conversation. And, and we need to hear some of your poetry, Brie. Um, okay. so we'll 
promise that'll come next. And I also want to thank Daniel Smith, who produces the show. So we'll be right back. Welcome back to Talk With Me. This is Marcia Epstein in Lawrence, Kansas, talking with Bree in Pleasureville, Kentucky. And you just shared that lovely idea, the potential of having a reading that includes words from a woman in your community who can no longer speak her own words, but is a writer. I, I love that combination of big city readers and writers and your community. And I also, as I mentioned before the break, I want to make sure that we have an opportunity to hear some of your poetry. So mm -hmm. I wonder if now is the time. Yes, sir. Okay. Tromping my way through the mushroom field on my way to see Don Fall. Tromping my way through the mushroom field on my way to see Don Fall. Birdsong overhead crunching on the ground now the corn is all dead. Bird song overhead, crunching on the brown fine affair we've had. Now that the corn is all dead, a true lady wears the sunlight well, and she genuflects in clover. Her knees are bad to stone ground, where mosses grow and stones collect to spout off like dilettants. Mm. A gentleman is born, the shadows from her face, and swears to the rock audience, the view is finer, and acoustics great, just over there. I'm tromping my way through the mushroom field, on my way to see Don Fall. Tromping my way through the mushroom field, on my way to see Don fall. I came across the bone, must have been the shin of an awfully young fawn. I said I came across a bone, must have been the shin till I had to stop, cause I was in a skeleton field, a skeleton field. May apples bloomed between the ribs, of a coyote in the clearing, them shoots were greener than gold. And gold enough for me to say to you they were yellow. Mm -hmm. I looked the other way, the rest of my young fawn was posed upon a carpet of spring beauty. Pink and white blooms that appear for a sign of spring so delicate. In rugged Kentucky, I'm tromping my way through the mushroom field on my way to see Don's fall. And those grackles fly, flying up ahead, so darn glad to be back home again after such a long flight, such a long flight. Those grackles fly, flying up ahead, so darn glad to be back home again. After such a long flight, such a long flight, I wanted to tell my life story. I would write it on a rock, for surely it would fit, snug between the mosses growing, a hieroglyphic like found on mountaintops by unwitting prophets, a 
a guidebook to the damned, some who gave a great damn all the time against their own best instincts, given over nonetheless to being true, forthright, and yet ill-equipped as well, as daring as wherewithal. Peacock's feather buried at sea shucked oysters down the mouth of government leaders. It was going to be some story. But I was cooking in restaurants. I was visiting the doctors. I was playing Yahtzee with other Yahtzee players. I was buying long johns for long winters and short skirts for even shorter summers. I grew old with my Prince Charming, and before I knew what to think, I thought differently. I knew I had succeeded at so many things. I wiped the mirror with a damp towel. I shut the front door. I polished the tea kettle and blew out its whistle when I went to bed nights. In daytime, days like green embroidery on a pink clothesline grew mosses like the rock had grown when I'd wanted to way back when right me. It started with a Rubik's Cube, an onion unraveled. The real puzzle was how I got on it all but for love. At that point, I set out to write love, but this didn't happen. I wrote with love. I wrote the people that I love. I wrote lovely things about people I love. I love people and I kept writing, but I have not written love. I have met sad people. I have met miserable people. I have met the bleaker than bleak, those that gave up so completely that they had given up on giving up. In fact, their gig was up. Their gig had been some, being someone that gives up. I have met people who love. I would much love writing my life story. I would write it with a penny scratched on cardboard chips, thrown into the rubbish on the way out, having not won this time. I would write it with three X's going down the middle and draw a line through the X's, pass the paper, wait for my opponent to draw a new board. I would write it with a long line drawn perpendicular to a much shorter line, one letter at a time, building a stick man. I would always have different opponents, and we would all love, and each of them would want to read my story. Beautiful. Is there time for another poem? <laughs> sure. Well, I kind of yes. wanted to read this one because um, it was a trick. A, uh, a woman named Mary Weems, she's a playwright and a poet and a professor in Cleveland, asked me if I would speak to some kids, and I thought she said uh, sixth grade, but it was actually six-year-olds. So I, I prepared a poem. Exactly something I would like to hear when I was 12 years old, and I got there, and there was a bunch of six-year-olds, and I did not read the poem. Uh-huh. It's called We Are All Orange for Garrity Elementary. They asked me to speak to you about poetry, diversity. To say we are the same would cause scandal, controversy. To say whether we are sisters or brothers, adults are coming up, we're all corrupt and are corrupted. <laughs> to say we start out right even if we are interrupted. To say we start out downright perfect. Oh, say somewhere someone loves us, even if it's one person who isn't nuts. To say we start out fresh and gather dust. To say we have the world in the palm that grows outside our huts and the hassles happening outside our castles. To suggest the streets we walk to stand in line for the bus or limo, tractor, compact, Hummer, trailer, SUV. To suggest those streets are any less than what makes us us. So, so we grow every day we listen up to the traffic. Oh, say can we? Beats and tires squealing, drums and the weathermen flying in the copters, songs in the ivy and the pattern that it makes on buildings, sweet and ill feelings climb up. What climbs on us? What jive shucks? Black, yellow, brown, red, and white fingers grip a pen to punch a pad or write. Men, women, child, and in between copy down to share what they've seen. Whether voices carry on with fictions or speak personal truths, to say we are the same as contradiction. Fiction means to speak, make it proud. Make it from the heart so we can see we. 
But you can see that you and I are me. Yeah, right, you and what army? The power of the pen, the sword cuts down the might of buildings, businesses, mayors, contracts, cancers, districts. Color blinds, Venetian opening consciousness like traffic widens. Power of the pen is so much stronger than living in one. You who, did you say diversity? To say you're me would cause a scandal. The difference is who it is that just loves us. Because they give the boost so you and I can know what's what, blue, green, violet, and orange. In sixth grade, the joke was nothing rhymes with orange, but I'm not listening. When fruit has just been washed, it's glistening. When I speak my rhymes, whole hordes are listening. So when they say can't, you rhyme, you spit orange. Ohio's in the foothills of mountain o ranges. We climb and descend. Cleveland, we can't rhyme with us. In the sunset, we are orange, all of us. When the sun sets another day makes history, we start out right. We climb we. I love that that whole concept of bringing poetry to youth and and to encouraging them, you know, to express themselves with words when sometimes the temptation is something else. And, and I, there was a phrase in there that, that caught my ear, um, which I think is, it was about the power of the pen. And is it that the power of the pen is so much more than living in one? Yes. And that, yeah. That, that really well, yeah, I mean, me I was trapped so when, when I was 12, I was trapped. I was, I was absolutely in a pen, but um, there's a little secret world that poetry where you forget all about it. Uh-huh. Because you're writing, I mean, you don't even know uh-huh. what you're writing, but you're but you but you're you're doing it, and you are yeah. not you're not in any kind of cage when you're doing it. Yeah, and and what I was thinking in part about that though is also that, you know, pen, pen, pen. The different, you know, pen as a writing instrument, pen as a cage, pen as a penitentiary. You know, and with certain youth audiences. You know, all three yeah. of those. Yeah, this was an at-risk audience, and um, I tell you, like, like it probably can't happen because of my um, my disabilities. But I did I did think that at some point I would foster children because, you know, throw me like an eleven or twelve year old who um, just hasn't had had love, mm-hmm. and to build them up would be such a would be such an amazing challenge in life and something I would love to do. Yeah, yeah, and so. You, you get pieces of that and kids get pieces of you when you get to be in front of them as a, you know, the speaker in their, their group, their class, whatever it is, which is really cool. I'm, I'm a huge believer in, in terms of my personal experience and my, my work as a mental health social worker that, that those glimpses of recognition that we get from adults in our lives, even ones that aren't in our lives permanently, that aren't you know, family members, but but those glimpses that kids get from somebody who values them, believes in them, that it makes a difference, you know? it's It just is a huge gift. Um, and there are kids who, who don't get that from any place else other than, you know, maybe this occasional encounter with somebody like you who came into their school or whatever this, you know, the setting might be. And that's, that's hugely important, even when you know, for you at this point, it can't translate into you're taking in a child as a foster child, but it's, it's really, really great stuff being out there with kids. Yeah. Thank you. So, you know, I'm, I'm trying to imagine this, this life of, you know, nature and writing and publishing and, 
creating other kinds of art and, and I'm imagining, you know, I'm wondering about community for you. Um, have you, have you adapted to a lot of solitude or do you have a way that you stay pretty connected, you know, through social media or whatever to a core set of people that really are your people? I mean, I, I spend most of my time alone and that's, that's by choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I do socialize. There's, I've become acclimated to a certain point, um, to the country to where I even slip into an accent without knowing I'm doing it. Um, I, I went home to Cleveland and my sister was aghast because uh, <laughs> I, just, I had just learned how to drive. I mean, I, I, I never drove uh-huh. a car and I, I, I surely didn't think I ever would. Uh-huh. Um, However, when I, you know, it's, it's like, it's like uh, Richard Brodigan, it's funny, right around coming here to, to my own apartment where I don't drive in the country yeah. from the city, um, I, I read this book about Brodigan and he did the same thing. He didn't drive a car, but he isolated himself in the country. Um, and then you are at the mercy of others to get to the grocery store, a doctor's mm-hmm. to do, you know, for me I to, to do my laundry, I'm at the mercy of others. Yeah. Um, so here I am doing this grant about strong, independent women, right? Fierce woman. I can't even get myself to the store. So I, I, uh, I got my license in August and I kept saying insurance, you know, well, dad, we gotta, we gotta look into this insurance. I'm like, what are you saying? Why are you saying that? You know, because it's, it's, it's insurance. And I, 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 I even say it insurance. Okay. Yes. Health insurance. Okay. But see, there's certain things, you know, um, my sister would say, what are you, you know, what are you doing? I'm going to go take a shower, you know? Um, yeah, I'll probably be writing in about an hour. Um, I can't even say Ohio. I, like, like, I can't say Ohio, you know? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I actually, I actually, um, I wrote a song uh, about Ohio, just saying Ohio, because um, I was walking, and, and for some reason, it's just like, you know, I come from Ohio, Ohio, Ohio. Ohio, 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 you know, like just for some reason that was in my head and I went home and I wrote a song, um, but you know, I live in Pleasureville where I pay my bills in funny money cause I've been ill for a while, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. and as, as, as I walk a lot of times, um, I, I will get a little, a little melodies in me. Um, uh-huh. I really think that all of it comes down to the walking. When I was, um, the last couple of years, it's like so many things hit me. First, I became like permanently disabled, um, but I continued to work because I just wouldn't face it. Um, and then I got fired from the job because I didn't want to go into management. Um, so it was, it was like, it was, they didn't even, they said, go ahead and you can collect unemployment because they knew that they fired me just on a bullshit reason. I'm part of my language. Uh, so then, you know, I got a job, a new job. And only to get acclimated, like the day that I was acclimated to this brand new job, and I was walking out, and my phone was just out of batteries. I mean, I said to my husband, I said, we finally did it. We had a, we had a good Saturday night. I think I've got the crew. I think we're going to, you know, it was a restaurant. And um, I said, you can't believe how many specials we sold. I was just ecstatic. But mm-hmm. it was like June 15th. It was the first really actually warm day in Cleveland. There was a warm breeze, and I was just in ecstasy feeling it, waiting at this crosswalk. And I, you know, I crossed, you know, and then here comes this drunk driver just speeding around the corner, broke my leg, broke, broke, uh, broke my knee, 
And so for 14 weeks of the summer, which is all I live for, is, is the summer to be outside where I'm not cold, um, I spent on the couch. Mm-hmm. So there was this tragedy after tragedy. And then um, because I had lost my job and had no income and, and with, with the accident and so forth, um, my neurologist says, well, you know, this is a very good thing because you can have the surgery now. Um, there, there's a, a dream surgery for, for migraines where people are just cured and that's it. So rather than having 24 hours a day, you would just have no migraines, or they say you might have a couple a year. Mm-hmm. And so um, I had surgery, but it didn't cure me. So that was almost worse than, than anything. I had surgery after surgery then because they just wanted to keep trying with me. They didn't know why it didn't work on me. I was never going outside. I was never walking. Aww. And so the first step to me getting cured was I got myself a dog so that I would walk mm-hmm. outside. Mm-hmm. And um, that got me to the health where, where I knew that I had to leave my husband. Um, he wasn't trying to get healthy. And so I flat out asked him one day where we went to the dog park and I said, well, do you want to be happy? And he goes, do you think so? And so I said, okay, because I am leaving on Saturday <laughs> and um, when I come down to Kentucky. So okay. I think, I think me being outside is me being productive. And, and if I'm not, then you know that I'm not. That's it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and so as you said, you know, it's it's uh, that walking thing. It comes down to the walking. I like that. It reconnects you with you. It sounds like. Well, yeah, and like you know, if you get real into birds, it sounds almost like a, like a obsession. And I said to my my one friend, "Well, if I'm escaping, if I'm spending all my time walking outside looking for birds, and if that's if that's a form of escape, I think it's a healthy one. You know, Absolutely. at least it's not. You know, yeah. it could be escape. Maybe all we ever want to do is escape. Yeah, but you can escape in really, really nice ways. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah, that's that's a great reminder to people that we do sometimes we not sometimes we do need a break from the things that are going on around us, inside us, thoughts, those kinds of things, Um, and being out in nature is obviously a very healthy and healing and helpful, inspiring thing for you. And it's a good thing for people to consider that it doesn't have to come out of a bottle or a pipe. <laughs> you know? Right. There, there, there are other good ways to experience altered states that are quite enjoyable by just immersing ourselves in what really is going on around us when we're out in nature. It's delightful. So that's that's a good a good uh, little sort of life lesson there to consider, folks. <laughs> so, yeah. so you create all this art, and and you obviously connect to people, and and living a lot alone right now is good. And and I wanted to to clarify again. So, is is there in addition to that that solitude and aloneness, is there? At this point in your life, sort of a key set of people that you say stay some connection with, you know, whether it's again through social media or a few that are. Well, in yeah, area. I mean, I mean, uh-huh. that's that's a rough one. That's a rough uh-huh. one because they're getting pared down. They're getting uh-huh. pared down. Um, my husband and I, I never got used to calling him my ex-husband. I don't think I ever really did until after uh-huh. he died. I had to clarify ex-husband. Um, you know, he and I stayed on as best friends. We had a little, uh-huh. a, a little plan. Of, um, that regardless of whether or not we remarried, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't really matter. 
we were going to move to Florida and live out the rest of our lives together um, uh, at the end. You know, mm-hmm. uh, well, you, you, not even at the end. We were going to wait a few years because his parents float back and forth between Cleveland and, and Florida. Mm-hmm. And when they would finally tire of coming home to Cleveland and they would sell their house and so forth, that's when he and I were going to just move down there no matter what. And we'd live mm-hmm. a mile away and just be best friends, Brian and Bree, forever because, you know, that's all we could see for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were probably closer closer on the day he died than, than we were, you know, when we met mm-hmm. 17 years ago. Um, mm-hmm. But he did, we, you know, we divorced last November and he passed away this September of an aneurysm. Mm-hmm. Um, when I lost him, I lost, you know, the absolute greatest source source of um, just morale and strength that I ever had. Mm-hmm. And then about two weeks ago, my best friend, Jim Lang, who had a lot to do, you know, he, he didn't tell me anything. He wouldn't. Uh, but he allowed me to, to figure out how I wanted to publish on my own, you know, and then if I had, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I said to him, but, but my stapler won't go through more than 15 pages. And then mm-hmm. he said, okay, okay, here's where you find a stapler. But, um, he, you know, he was just this, uh, he was like a guardian and um, he was, he was my best friend and my partner in crime and we were class clowns together and he passed away. Um, oh. uh, so, you know, I've been, I've been, I, I have my best friends who I call my best friends from Cleveland mm-hmm. and without, without them, I, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do too well, but, um, but I have made some, some lifelong best friends here for sure. Um, mm-hmm. That song I sing about Don's bog. I do have a friend named Don and she has a bog. Um, she's got a 76 acre wood. Um, there's turkeys and coyotes and owls. Uh, I saw a little mink. Uh, so, um, the day I met Don, I had been in Kentucky for maybe a week, and she walked in the room, and I don't think I've ever just said this to a, a person, but she walked in the room, and I said, my goodness, you're beautiful. I said, you're glowing, mm-hmm. and you look like an angel. It was just, just you know, and she said, well, thank you so much, and, and she said, um, you know, I hear you're a poet, and she told me that she writes a little bit, too, and uh-huh. uh, and I gave her my book, and then she took me to the mechanic. She had, I mean, she was wild. She was buck wild. Um, you know, you know, driving, I don't even know, 85 miles an hour, I would think <laughs> the seatbelt seat thing is going, you know, going off and she goes, she goes, all oh, that thing. She goes, it never quits. You know, <laughs> although now uh, she's settled down quite a bit. She's got a man named Toby and, uh, the two of us try to make her put her seatbelt on because they oh, said, yeah. uh, you know, do you want Toby to have to take care of you for the rest of your life as right. an invalid, you know, right. Right. um, right. Yeah. but, but Don is kind of like, she's a scientist. And she is, uh, I said to her, most of my best friends are scientists. I don't know how it is, but scientists and poets really get on. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, we are at this time where we are at the end of the hour and, and you have all these stories to tell. And so I want to remind our listeners that Bree will be in Kansas City for the Kansas City Poetry Throwdown, which is April 21st through 23rd, 2017. You can find more information about that whole three-day weekend of poetry and publishing talks by going to Facebook, Kansas City Poetry Throwdown, and by going to Spartan Press, their website with their throwdown page. And so I think I'm leaving our listeners intrigued, wanting more, which is perfect. (laughs) Thank you so much, Bree. It's really been delightful talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. And so long to our listeners.